we like what we do. And uh, hopefully you do too. Uh, before that, Ice with a track called One Chance from their self-titled album. And as promised, we snuck some King Sunny Ade in from the album Synchro System. And uh, it's 6.30 right now, so we are going to shift it down the hall to, uh, to Grey Matters right after this. We're, we're just going to fade this one out. We're just going to fade ourselves out. Fade ourselves out. Fade ourselves. Well, uh, good evening. It's about 6.30 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, not Greek Standard Time. And welcome to another edition of Grey Matters, the weekly news and media talk show. My name is Dick Whaley. And I'm Jim Dwyer. And, of course, Greece has uh, turned into a sort of a fascinating story. Uh, I, I guess I have a particular interest in Greece simply because most of my childhood I lived in Athens, Ohio, <laughs> named, of course, after Athens, Greece, due to the fact that there's a major university there. Ohio University is based in Athens, Ohio, and Athens, Ohio, or Ohio University, in terms of its relevance to history was that it was the first state university in the Northwest Territory, which uh, ended up becoming five states, Ohio, Michigan, Indiana, Illinois, and Wisconsin, sort of the heart and soul of the Big Ten Athletic Conference. So, uh, and by the way, Jefferson, Thomas Jefferson, who of course was in the news this past week because of the Declaration of Independence and the committee and all of that, he wrote the Northwest Ordinance Charter that banned slavery in that uh, territory. Hmm. So anyway, I've always had a particular interest in Greece for a lot of reasons. Of course, it's uh, part of the uh, Western canon of, of English and American literature. Um, the origin of democracy. And uh, this uh, referendum, well, I guess you, you can call it that, uh, is, is a very interesting event. Uh, it was hastily called, and obviously the no votes won about 60-40. In America, we would call that a landslide. But the celebration is somewhat peculiar because it's sort of a temporary political victory for uh, Cyprus, I guess is his name. I've, I've heard him pronounce Cyprus and also Cyprus, so we'll go with Cyprus for the time being. But who knows what's going to happen after this? This is uncharted waters. It's a dark and stormy night. Yeah, I mean, the celebration, it, it, superficially, it looks like just an excuse for a party. Because, yeah. hey, hey, the vote went the way people were hoping it would go. But as you say, nobody really knows what this means next. So I mean, people still are not able to access the full extent of their bank accounts. Um, there's all sorts of, uh, problems. And I mean, the unemployment didn't go away simply by voting no on this. No. And of course, banks being closed is, is a much bigger crisis than you realize because, uh, businesses, for instance, can't deposit checks. I heard a, a businesswoman belly aching today that she can't, she's got dozens and dozens of checks that she wants to put into the bank, but she can't. Well, and of course, as a business person, she won't be able to buy new stock or inventory, until such time as she can access that account. So it really, it's the, the break in the chain that shuts everything down. 
So at the moment, I think we're looking more at a tennis match where we don't know which side of the court the ball's in. Uh, the European Union is sort of saying Greece has to come up with uh, proposals and back, has to come back to the negotiating table, and we're not going to give in because this was sort of a referendum on a non-issue. Greece has not left the euro. Uh, Four-fifths of Greeks are in favor of staying with the euro. So I'm not sure that the drachma is yet going to make a comeback. It might end up being called the drachma. <laughs> well, I was just going to make a ridiculous joke punning on the similarity of the Greek sandwich, the euro, and the unit of currency, the euro. Um, maybe there's some confusion there. Yeah. Um, but actually, you can trace this back to a couple of earlier episodes in European history, one of which was the almost explosive expansion that the European Union underwent um, we really raised a lot of questions at the time. Will we be able to sustain this growth of these weaker countries? Uh, the Greek economy, one of the weakest. Um, that's a burden on the other sure. countries in that coalition. Um, and even going back to the end of uh, World War II, where the entire political system of Greece was changing hands in the dark and in secrecy amongst all kinds of chicanery and, you know, military juntas yeah. and, uh, you know, uh, the suppression of uh, votes and, and all these sorts of bizarre things, fears of uh, communist intrusion in the electoral process in Greece back in the 1940s. And even Richard Nixon took advantage of the Greek right-wing military junta, yeah. allegedly for some... Uh, Hanky-panky regarding campaign contributions. Money. Uh, Spiro Agno being put on the ticket. <laughs> sort of a quid pro quo, perhaps. Uh, very interesting stuff. Uh, when you start hearing uh, a German economic minister calling this communism, uh, I think he's uh, talking about the wrong thing here. Um, this, of course, is sort of what would have happened had a tarp not passed. I I remember hearing a British economist on BBC on Saturday before the tarp was ultimately approved who said, well, my opinion is if America doesn't approve this by the end of the week, they're going to have to shut down all of the banks, ATMs, and credit card systems in America because the banking system will no longer work. As much as we hate banks... They do play a role in oiling the gunk of commerce. <laughs> what would Thucydides say? Hmm. That was maybe the most amusing thing I read all week about the Greek crisis. But I think that it is useful to, to uh, note that there are a couple of interesting actual facts here. Uh, the IMF on uh, after Greek... Uh, didn't make this 1.5 billion euro payment. Incidentally, uh, crowdfunders raised about a quarter of a million euros to help out the Greeks. I'm not too sure whether the Greek government has accepted that as a, a start on the 1.5. But this is an IMF payment. This is the International Monetary Fund based here in Washington. And the spokesman, this is an interesting statement, said, We have informed our executive board that Greece is now in arrears and can only get IMF 
financing once the arrears are cleared. Cherry Rice, spokesman, on regarding the mispayment. And later in the article that I read uh, that I think outlines some of the significant facts by Jim Yardley and James Cantor on uh, basically the 2nd of July, makes this very interesting observation as well. It says, credit rating agencies also will not consider Greek in default based on the missing IMF payment because the IMF is not considered a commercial borrower. It's not. It's a sort of a quasi-international government agency. The United States has the largest... It's basically a collection agency. Yeah. And they've, of course, done some good work uh, since its creation back in 1944. It was negotiated in 1944 as uh, something called the Bretton Woods... Mm -hmm. International Monetary Agreement by John Maynard Keynes representing Great Britain and uh, predominantly an interesting controversial historical figure called Harry Dexter White. This became the basis for the creation of the World Bank and the IMF, the deal being that the World Bank, president of the World Bank, would be an American, the head of the IMF, who's Christine Lagarde, is a European. So it is a it was a post-war uh, entity that was created to bring stability to the economic system that had been completely ravaged by war. Uh, to say that banks were open during the war, well, that was a hit and miss uh, proposition. And I'm sure that barter and outright uh, thievery were more part of the uh, predominant economic reality of World War II. Uh, the black market? Sure. Harry Lime. And there have been other uh, countries on this list that Greece has joined. I don't know that I'd want to be in company with these three com countries, but Zimbabwe, Sudan, and Somalia have also um, not fulfilled IMF agreements. And, of course, Argentina is in default mm -hmm. as we speak. So the IMF generally is willing to wait a few days. They're not going to shut their doors. The question is, who's taking the haircut here? Uh, and I'm sure while the Uzo was flowing last night in downtown Athens, perhaps the Retsina and the <laughs> Calamari, if not the Hero sandwiches, uh, the banks are closed. Uh, there are limitations on what you can take out. Greece relies heavily on tourism. And if they ultimately are booted out of the European Union economically, I think they would still be part of the, economic, the European Union, but not using the euro. They would probably discover that the austerity would be coming from the Greek government, mm -hmm. not the German government. So it might be useful for the people in Brussels to rent a famous uh, Monty Python skit, the soccer game between the Greek and German philosophers. <laughs> yeah, that's a classic. It's a classic. <laughs> uh, maybe that can shed some humor into this whole situation, and maybe we can get some renegotiations. On the positive side, this finance minister is, has been ousted 
It's a little unclear whether he was forced out by uh, uh, the European Union or exactly what. He was... Uh, he used some inflammatory rhetoric that didn't help the situation a couple of weeks ago, to say the least. Uh, kind of foolish to use the word terrorism in this connection. But um, th this is obviously an ongoing problem that kind of needs to be resolved. And along with the human migration problem in Europe and all of this uncertainty about the Ukraine, um, those are sort of Europe's big... Uh, Big stumbling blocks. Uh, there was a report just this this week that the, uh, um, the in the last uh, year, 130,000 migrants have come into uh, Europe illegally, mainly through Greece and Italy, mm -hmm. and a third of the uh, migrants are are coming from Syria. Most of this is unskilled labor. Yeah. And these uh, countries already have economic problems, you know, the, the issue of contagion. All of this is sort of speculative. But it will be interesting to see what happens tomorrow and in the next couple of days, because I would say until some sort of a deal is crafted, the banks in Greece will stay closed. They only have, allegedly, uh, 1 billion euros Total. Um, and uh, whether or not the Obama administration gets involved in all of this is unknown and unknowable. Obviously, this is not something that the United States wants to sort of inject its, uh, its, its own financial problems into. But uh, Obama's public position has been he's trying to moderate people's opinions, but it is very interesting that in the Dodd-Frank Act of 2010, which is part of the Wall Street uh, reform package that is still operative, so to speak, Senator John Cornyn, Republican of Texas, offered Greece as an example when he inserted a provision into the 2010 Dodd-Frank Act um, that, that basically... Um, opposes and requires the United States to oppose IMF loans unless the administration concludes that the loan is likely to be repaid. So there, there, there are some technical language issues that sort of hamstring the, uh, the uh, Obama administration at this time. This uh, information courtesy of Julie Hirschfield Davis and Benjamin... Applebaum of the New York Times. So there are lots of unknowns, unknowables. <laughs> I don't think we need to quote Donald Rumsfeld. <laughs> Not today. Not today. So it will be very interesting to see what happens. And, of course, this is a reminder to America that this... Greece's problems were not really connected to the... American financial crisis. Greece's problems go way back. They sort of cooked the books to get into the mm -hmm. Euro European Union to use the euro. And therein lies the problems. Greece is also a very old country. So when you hear this word pensioner thrown around, be wary of that language. This is American capitalistic propaganda. These are not pensioners. These are basically people on Social Security. Mm-hmm. 
Right, so that's just another thing. There's no pension involved, really. Uh, Greece, of course, did have liberal rules about retirement. Sometimes those liberal rules, by the way, are utilized by certain countries to uh, allow younger people into the workforce. Right. So uh, it's really Social Security. And, of course, pensioners tend to be people who are not going to be able to find jobs quickly, have fixed incomes, et cetera, et cetera. And Greece still has a morass of problems. And the celebration, maybe they can feel good for a day or a night. It's sort of like New Year's Eve. The champagne is flowing on New Year's Eve, but uh, the hangover comes the next day. <laughs> and then you still got no job. So I guess it's nice to uh, pull a party at least out of... Uh the despair and it's yeah it's it's kind of like the uh, rugby scrum we don't know where the ball is it's kind of in the middle of a a big mess of players and actors it's very interesting of course that the american media has covered the problem that a bunch of american hedge funds will have uh if greece does in fact go into default because as we noted earlier they're not in default yet. They're in, quote, arrears, <laughs> um, a term that Scalia and uh, Alito are studying these days. As <laughs> uh, study, they must. Uh, well, I saw something very interesting over the weekend that uh, the increasing savviness with which uh, ISIS uses Clips and excerpts from Western media in their own promotional clips online. Primarily, they do their recruiting online. But uh, apparently, they're getting a lot of traction uh, using excerpts from Fox News, hmm. which, of course, yeah. is tailor-made for an ISIS propaganda video because what does Fox News say over and over again in all of their so-called news? This is a disaster for America. This is a, America's losing this war. Right. Uh, and so there's a, just a constant barrage of negative cheerleading. Uh, and it's so pervasive and consistent that this is really cut and paste propaganda for ISIS to just take these things and use them as their own. Uh, which, you know, makes me wonder uh, what would people have done if there was a news organization during World War II that said, maybe Roosevelt's not the right guy maybe he's too jewish maybe we need a dictatorship ourselves wouldn't that be treason or something like that and then there's this uh, new million dollar uh video that marco rubio is having made by a secret group of course because the irs is not able to uh track the spending or the donors to um so-called non-profit groups sure. there's been a weird sort of uh, uh, extension of the loophole there. The 501CB or whatever yeah, it's Yeah, uh, <laughs> it's ridiculous. The, the language is structured so that they are uh, supposed to be um, uh, devoted to, quote, social welfare. Um, and, in fact, are actually prohibited from politicking. Um, but, of course, the donations to these nonprofits are way up since it's the new way to buy elections. So what does it mean for Marco Rubio to uh, spend a million dollars of secret money 
for an ad campaign to try and derail uh, Secretary of State John Kerry's attempt to get a good working negotiation with Iran, which is in the country's best interests. That sounds like don't make a deal with Johnson, make a deal with Nixon uh, regarding the the Vietnam War. It sounds like uh, cheating. Yeah, and the Iran thing, of course, is still up in the air, and I'm relatively certain that the can will be kicked down the road on that and more time will be granted and blah de blah yeah. de blah But so what? Um, what's the harm in more talking? Uh, the political mess that we have in America, of course, with all this unregulated money, is one example of, of, of the failure of the Supreme Court to r- r- kind of live in the world of reality. Um, there is a very interesting observation that was made last week that this is the most liberal voting uh, set of rulings by the Supreme Court since 1968. And the, the article, which I lost the front of, but I'm sure that Adam Liptak wrote it, um, makes the observation, quoting a bunch of scholars, about how the uh, right is more divided on the Supreme Court and that the left drove the Supreme Court in the last term. Now, last week we saw some rulings that went all in favor of the right wing. But a couple of cases I just wanted to make an interesting observation on about how these right, so-called right wing or conservative justices do vote with the left sometime. For instance, on the Confederate flag case involving the license plates in Texas, which was technically called Walker versus uh, Texas Division Sons of Confederate Veterans, Clarence Thomas is the one that joined the four liberals to make this a five to four decision. Hmm. I wonder why. <laughs> um, he on- needs to get out of Scalia's shadow more often. Yeah, it's very interesting that he did. And he also did join the liberals on another case with Kennedy that turned out to be six to three. That was a separation of powers uh, vote regarding Israel. This was the whole passport thing. And right. the, uh, Jerusalem, is it the capital, bloody, bloody, yada, yada. Um, that was a six to three ruling in which Thomas joined with um Kennedy and the four liberals who actually textually read the US Constitution. Scalia, the famous textualist, didn't bother. Uh I know it like the back of my hand. So in the conduct of foreign of foreign affairs, they're basically ruling with the president. Because the Bush administration's position was the same as Obama's in court. On the same sex marriage thing, which we don't need to go into, of course Kennedy was the one that switched and, of course, on the um, uh, health care law, it was both Kennedy and Roberts that voted with the liberals. One other very interesting case that I wanted to make note of, because I haven't talked about it before, was the Williams-Uley versus the Florida Bar, which uh, prohibited uh, campaign donations Basically, the court ruled that states may prohibit, may prohibit judicial candidates from personally asking supporters for money. Roberts joined the four liberals on that case. The 
other four conservatives voted no. So what this law or what this debate was about was whether or not the state of Florida, which has a stricter um, law regarding campaign contributions to justices, um, allowed the state of Florida's law to continue prohibiting uh, justices of the state Supreme Court in Florida from asking for money. So very interesting historical analysis in the, uh, what is this, the uh, uh, July 1st edition of the New York Times that gives you a kind of a wrap-up of the court's rulings, particularly the major rulings. I didn't go into all of them there, but I did note some of the anomalies where one conservative justice switched with uh, their brethren and went with the liberals. And, of course, the gist of the article being that this was the most liberal court since 1968. A very interesting development. Well, it's certainly the most Catholic yeah. court ever uh, in the history of the country. Yeah, there, there um, are no Catholics. Uh, there are no Protestants on the court at the moment. It's most unusual, yeah. Um, uh, I think it's six. Well, one is a converted Protestant. That's uh, Clarence Thomas. Uh, but uh, yeah, it's all Catholics and uh, I guess three Jews. Uh, Ginsburg, Breyer, and uh, Kagan. So, that's very strange, yeah. to say the least. I wonder what those guys that are operating that website down in uh, in Florida... That uh, the suspect and or not even I guess the suspect anymore, but the 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 the, the oh you talk deranged about, man yeah the shooter in the South Carolina thing yeah it's funny I've got he this, vi he visited that website quite a bit apparently yeah it's called Stormfront That's and the it. guy who runs it Don Black was once a grand dragon of the Ku Klux Klan but now forswears the Klan because of their history of random and senseless violence. So he prefers, I guess, more purposeful and directed violence. Yeah. Uh, and apparently this is true because I'm not sure if you read this entire article, but further on in the uh, piece, we find this information. Mr. Black uh, does not just talk about such aspirations. He spent two years in federal prison for an ill-fated attempt in 1981 to seize the Caribbean island of Dominica for conversion into an all-white paradise. Financed by brothels and casinos. The authorities stopped him and his group as they were boarding a yacht <laughs> with, with plans to stage a Dominica coup. Okay, that's crazy yeah. right there. I mean, the idea, and now his big talking point on his web uh, program, his, his podcast. Web radio, yeah. Web, web pod radio. Podcast. Where he's got, you know, several hundred, th you know, thousand followers because there's knuckleheads aplenty out there uh in the land of freedom with a thirst for ignorance um <laughs> this is a great quote he says uh unfortunately i took too many history classes i, I doubt i doubt that how many did you pass <laughs> right and history is not filled with a lot of peace america is becoming balkanized just like the balkans <laughs> which is of course why they call it balkanization because it's just like the balkans uh but he continues we are breaking apart 
we as a great white nation, apparently, are breaking apart because of Hispanics, particularly in the Southwest and other races. Well, his idea of a white supremacist homeland in the Pacific Northwest I don't think is viable, uh, but he should get together with the Donald and they can start a new land called Trumpistan. Yeah. Where... Maybe they can buy a Greek island. There you go. I think there's some real estate available for. I'll be the great. I'll be the greatest jobs creating president in the history of the world's ever seen. I think that's what we'll just have to call him Goldilocks from this point on, and give him a brain damage award. Moldylocks, more like pretty much every week for being the Donald. Uh, these lawsuits that he now has uh, decided to file against these television networks that have dropped him. You're fired, dude. Um, well, what can you say? I mean, don't they have a right to invoke a, shall we say... It's an uh, at-will employment scenario, yeah, I'm sure. Code of conduct <laughs> yeah. policy. These seem to be a ubiquitous in the corporate uh, world that Donald Trump loves to uh, eat full guac. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, as much as I'd Maybe like that's it... that's what's growing on his head. <laughs> Something's growing up there, and it ain't here. Uh, as much as part of me would really like it, and I think most Americans who just want to live their lives in peace, uh, you know, with the fellow members of their communities, would, would probably be just as happy if these guys did have some sort of separate enclave they could go to where they could have their whites-only, you know, passion frenzy. But that can't be in America. That's just, it's un-American. It's... It's downright uh, ridiculous and to as even for, propose it as an idea. Yeah, and as for the history courses that, uh, you know, your rights and my rights are supposed to coexist. What does he call his website? The Stormtroopers? Stormfront. Uh, oh, the Stormfront. Well, it's not too far off from no, the Stormtroopers. <laughs> but uh, just a, uh, a note uh, factually about the uh, error of his ways and his material. I don't know where he's getting it, but Fox News <laughs> seemed yeah. like a li likely like suspect. A uh, this is from the, one of the more recent Harper's Index. Percentage changed since 2010 in the average income of white U.S. households, 8%. Of all other U.S. households, down 11%. So uh, I don't know where they keep getting this data. Uh, it's been noted in recent weeks, by the way, because of the brouhaha about the uh, Confederate flag in South Carolina and other places south of the Mason-Dixon line. Or the Manson-Nixon line, as it's <laughs> referred to by Firesign Theater. That, uh, yeah, the, the difference between African-American household wealth and white is about 10 to 1. Uh, just letting you know that Yazoo City Calling will be coming up next uh, shortly here on WCBN FM Ann Arbor. I'd like to thank Andrew once again for engineering this evening, uh, but uh, they're coming up shortly. So, yeah, I, I mean, the, the, the as usual, one of the things that's so annoying about this sort of nonsense, because certainly the web is polluted. Chock-a-block with... with crap with nonsense uh is is just the uh, you know it's just bereft of factuality <laughs> it's heavy on rhetoric and emotion 
um, and all sorts of other nonsense. But, uh, you, you know, I mean, you, you get stuff like this. This is another thing from the May 2015 Harper's Index. Percentage of Americans who believe that vaccines are safe and effective, 53%. Who believe that houses can be haunted by ghosts, 